Old School Lane Casual Chats is brought to you by OldSchoolLane.blogspot.com and is associated with Channel Frederator, Manic Expression, The Comic Book Cast, and The Araminta Show. Welcome to a very special episode of Casual Chats. It is the 150th episode, and I am really excited about today's um, discussion because this is a discussion that you guys have chosen. So a few weeks ago, I had posted up a poll on what was going to be the 150th episode topic, and the choices were as followed. So we had the Lion Guard. Uh, SpongeBob's Big Birthday Blowout, Acquired Nickelodeon Shows, My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic, Magic and Magicians, Favorite Web Series, Live Action Dr. Seuss Films, Leica Studios, Cardcaptor Sakura, The Owl House, but um, by a very, very close margin, second only to the Magic School Bus and the Magic School Bus again, the winner, and this was suggested by Chad, thank you so much, Chad. Uh, he suggested Looney Tunes. So I have with me a very special guest to discuss about Looney Tunes. So please, why don't you introduce yourself? Okay, so I am Thad Kamarowski, an animation historian, uh, digital film restoration artist. Um, I wrote a book called Sick Little Monkeys, the Unauthorized Run and Stimpy Story several years ago. And I'm in the works on a history of New York City animation. And I also co-hosted my own podcast, Cartoon Logic with uh, animation director legend Bob Jakes. And yeah, um, I'm happy to talk Looney Tunes anytime. Yeah, now it's, I don't know if you remember this, Dad, but I actually interviewed you over six years ago when you put, first posted up your book. And yep, I remember, yeah, I yeah. appreciated that, yeah. Oh, absolutely, yeah. So it's, it's nice to actually have you here in the podcast because when I did it, it was a blog interview and this was back when I was doing blogging, but nowadays I do my stuff like podcasts and uh, doing videos. So yeah, this is amazing considering that, you know, <laughs> I've wanted to have you on the show for quite a while, especially with the whole talks of Ren and Stimpy and all that kind of stuff. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, but I thought that, you know, because of, um, well, let's not get into that but the whole controversies with Ren and Stimpy and you know because this is a very special occasion for 150 episodes of my podcast I thought yeah it would be nice if we can talk about all things Looney Tunes so I'm actually curious how did you first learn about Looney Tunes oh god uh you know I I can't really place my finger on it very small child uh I think I might have seen the Bugs Bunny Roadrunner movie uh, that was a compilation feature of uh, various Chuck Jones cartoons. I'm not sure if it was that or just individually. I remember the car- the Bugs Bunny cartoon Operation Rabbit. And that sort of kick-started it. I mean, that's my... Vi- I have very, very early memories of seeing that cartoon. And that's the first one with Wile E. Coyote speaking. Mm-hmm. And it just made it big impression on me and sort of snowballed from there i know there was a period from maybe ages seven to ten where i was absolutely obsessed with looney tunes and i was uh up for prop they uh considered me for counseling because of it but uh (laughs) you know uh well you know it's just just a you know it's just a phase sometimes kids have you know oh absolutely yeah for sure 
Uh, yeah, I think that as as us kids, especially since um, you know, in the you know, like in the early um '90s, all the way up to like the you know, like I would say like the late '80s to the early '90s, it's like you know, television was like kind of like our main way into entertainment uh, next to movie theater. So this was like before mm-hmm. we had the internet. This was before we had things like uh, streaming services or anything like that. So in order for us to right. be like know about. Okay, I want to know about uh, this particular thing that's going on on TV. I had to go look through the TV guide and say, okay, there's this uh, this one episode of this one show coming out. I'm going to go watch it. And I, I, were you one of those people who actually like every time that a show would come up, would you like like tape everything and just like you know watch it over and over again? Oh yeah, I would uh, tape all. I I would yeah, I would usually spend any money I could get my hands on on blank VHS tapes, and I'd be recording any any airings of the warner cartoons i could find i would record them off of nickelodeon and cartoon network uh tbs tnt uh abc you know there there were a lot of outlets for looney tunes there was a period for several years where each any network that had an animation block you would have a package of the warner cartoons to show so there was no shortage of it uh, for a very long time. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's kind of crazy to think now. It's like, oh, when you if you want to watch something on uh, Looney Tunes, you go to uh, Cartoon Network or you go to Boomerang or something. But back then, you have to understand that Looney Tunes was in syndication for many networks. I think I remember Jerry Beck did an article many years ago about the importance of Looney Tunes airing on Nickelodeon back in the late 80s and about how Mm -hmm. that kind of like brought in a whole resurgence of people loving Looney Tunes again to the point in which when, uh, you know, when the animation renaissance happened around the late 80s and early 90s was when we saw a lot of like reboots to a lot of things, um, you know, with the success of like The Simpsons and Ren and Stimpy Mm -hmm. and even to some extent with like the Muppet Babies where we had things like Tiny Toon Adventures and then that spun off to the whole Warner Brothers uh, series of cartoons like Animaniacs and Freakazoid and a whole bunch of those cartoons. Oh, sure. Yeah, there was definitely a resurgence in the popularity of the original cartoons um, that kind of started with uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit with uh, most. There were a couple of the Warner characters in that film and it and also the idea of classic animation you know, sure. was brought back. And there were a couple. Um, and yeah, Nickelodeon was sort of at the forefront of that and that. And the fact that they were airing these really high quality things from several decades before sort of clued them in. Well, why can't we do new quality things either? I'm sure that had a very big effect on that network. Yeah, and even with Cartoon Network, in which when they got some of the rights to air some of the old cartoons, uh, including the stuff that Ted Turner had purchased with the old Hanna-Barbera stuff, you know, a lot of people were introduced to that as well. And I I even remember like... um, there would like feature, you know, um, we're to have this special segment in which we're going to have like these behind the scenes um, blips in the background where you get to learn about the behind the scenes on how these cartoons came to be. And oh, this cartoon won an Emmy for this um, for best animated short. And this cartoon was, I mean, I remember like, you know, the there would like feature like Chuck Jones and Tex Avery where they would like showcase, okay, these are um, the cartoons that they made and um, this is how they did it. And Mm -hmm. I remember that those would be showing up a lot on Cartoon Network, which 
um, you know, that actually brought more into my um, acknowledgement of, okay, that this is like Looney Tunes and this is what they would do. And um, I think that, you know, that was like definitely the starting point. And I think that as time went on, like for people in the 90s that a lot of the, um, uh, you know, a lot of a lot more shows were starting to come out. Like there was a Sylvester and Tweety Mysteries. Yeah, they always had those uh, to stamp back on on their legacy characters. And that's sort of where all the Steven Spielberg stuff came out of. You know, they would use those cartoons as their foundation. And they once in a while when they needed more product uh, because they felt they couldn't keep showing the old ones forever you know that's specifically why they did the series uh, tasmania because uh, they had a very popular merchandisable character in the tasmanian devil but uh, taz was only in maybe about five of the original classic cartoons i think he might have been in a reprisal short or two but uh, yeah you don't have much to go on and yeah like that was actually an interesting one like you have to understand, like, I'm, I mean, I'm sure nowadays a lot of people know about Taz, but back then he was, like, one of the minor characters. I mean, alongside right. with, like, I mean, even Speedy Gonzalez was even in more episodes <laughs> than Taz. Well, yeah, Speedy Speedy had a very big following in the international market. That's specifically why uh, in the 60s when the original studio shut down, they wanted to do more Speedy Gonzalez cartoons, specifically because... Uh, for the international market because the character was incredibly popular. Sure. When I was uh, visiting Dominican Republic multiple times as a child because um, oh, my yes. mother my mother's Dominican and I have I still have right. family from Dominican Republic. So what I mean from the ages of between five and ten, my grandmother would take me there every year. And mm -hmm. I remember that um, you know, I would see like a lot of classic cartoons still on TV. So they didn't have like, I mean, they had like some of the newer stuff, but for the most part, when it came to like after school and, you know, they would be rerunning all the old classic shows from like Hanna-Barbera and um, Woody Woodpecker was still really popular over there. And some of the Looney Woody Tunes Woodpecker is very popular in Brazil. Yeah, very it is. Huge. Pika Powell. Like, that's why they did that new awful uh, cgi movie um, oh my god <laughs> specifically for the specifically for the brazilian market that was yeah what it was for. even my grandmother knew about you know woody woodpecker because um you know he's called el pajaro loco uh in ah. the spanish countries uh which is the crazy bird that's what it means right. so of course yeah so i i remember and, well, even and when they I was were like, cheaper too they were yeah, cheaper sure. because they were cheaper che than the uh, cheaper to buy uh uh, shorts from the 40s 50s and 60s than to uh pay for any of the new shows so yeah they've yeah. they've stayed in a lot of um yeah they've stayed pretty popular and uh around the world it's kind of like um you know the equivalent of how um you know in the 90s where they would like oh um you know this this anime thing from japan you know, we don't have uh, to worry about right. creating a lot of our shows and we could just use our resources so that we can dub all these things and we can make the money for it. It's like sort of like that equivalent in a way. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's uh, that's always the case. Um, yeah. Um, no, I'm actually I'm actually curious, uh, you know, going into all these. Um, now, I know that it's like, you know, oh, you know, picking your favorite child or whatever. But what have been <laughs> some of your favorite shorts from the classic Looney Tunes? Well, well, well. I, I I hate to be uh, predictable or you know pedestrian with my choices, but uh, <laughs> okay. all, the all time classics are my personal favorites. Uh, number one would be Great Piggy Bank Robbery. 
by Bob Clampett. Oh, Duck that's a Dodgers, great one, yeah. Duck Dodgers by Chuck Jones. Uh, Stupid Cupid by Frank Tashlin. Back Alley Uproar and Buccaneer Bunny by Frizz Freeling. They're they're all great. I mean, there's at least a period from 42 to maybe 55 where there's very few uh, pop boilers or dogs. I mean, we're... We can be pretty critical on cartoon logic, but that's just when uh, we're looking at them under a microscope. But there, you know, there, there's just way too many. Um, definitely, but definitely uh, the big four: uh, Clampett, Jones, Freeling, and Tashlin. Yeah, those um, can't go wrong with anything by them, especially sure. in the forties. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, you know, when you think of you know those kind of names, I mean, Freeling, Jones, um, even. Uh, Clampett to some extent because I, I know that he did a few, but there was also a few that he Clampett, did that. Yeah, Clampett was uh, well. That's sort of the thing with Clampett is that he directed for eight years, and uh, you know it gets swept under the rug. There was there's sometimes a bone of contention with a lot of the bigger Clampett fans because um, a lot of his shorts were primarily the black and white Porky Pigs, and those yeah. were. You know, we're talking about stuff that's cheaper um, to syndicate. And, of course, those were always in the cheaper package and had some real bastardization happen in the late 60s when uh, Warners decided to colorize them, which meant tracing everything frame by frame. Fortunately, those have pretty much been put out of commission. Um, They did colorize them digitally, but... Even so, um, those rarely show up anymore. Um, if you look at the streaming networks on uh, Boomerang and HBO Max, they're mostly the black and white versions, fortunately. So that's just and, and Clampett did do a period of uh, from about forty-one to forty-five, where he was doing a lot of high-quality work with a color unit. Uh, that's when he made the masterpieces like uh, Piggy Bank Robbery, Baby Bottleneck, Book Review, Kitty Cornered, uh, Old Gray Hair, Big Snooze, uh, he, uh, created Tweety Bird. And uh, yeah, but uh, no, he's he was, he's definitely an important uh, father of the Looney Tunes style. Definitely. Absolutely. Um, other, guy, other guys did do important work like Frank Tashlin, and uh, Art Davis, but they didn't really direct as long as the others, so it's more understandable. But uh, Clampett, definitely, and uh, Tex Avery, of course, too, was the founder oh, I, of the whole... I love Tex Avery's the whole Looney, Yeah, the whole Looney Tunes style really came out of him, the sarcastic anti-Disney edge. Um, there's a great blog by my friend... Uh, Frank Young, if you look for it, uh, Tex Avery at WB. Um, he's been examining each short that Leon, uh, that uh, Tex Avery did while he was working for Warner Brothers because a lot of people uh, look at that as a forerunner to his MGM work where he excelled. But, uh, you know, it's he, like any filmmaker, you know, his style goes all the way back. So you can see all of his tropes and his timing style and gag style being refined in the Warner years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also, um, what, I, what I really appreciate about uh, the Looney Tunes cartoons, looking back on them, is that 
not only do they have like distinct personalities with each and every single one of their characters, but you can put them into any situation and it would work. Um, you can do that with a lot of um, shows nowadays, like a lot of cartoons in which like, oh, you have one instance in which this person is traveling to this country or this person is in this house and they're doing a whole bunch of wacky shenanigans or this person's in the woods and, uh, you know, they're being chased around. It's like there's a lot of variety and diversity with these characters that you can be able to put them into any scenario and it'll be funny and i think that um that's what worked especially if you're like watching like maybe a short uh you know depending on whether you're watching it on tv or maybe in some cases you'll be watching it in like a film before the movie starts so uh, i think that what um is interesting is that you know you can be able to take somebody like uh, bugs bunny or daffy duck or um any of the sorts and just put them into different situations and it would be like really refreshing and really unique and even with something like um the coyote and roadrunner cartoons in which like the scenario does play the same but there's a distinct rule that it like keeps things interesting like i mm -hmm. i think i even read sure. chuck jones um posting about how how to write a you know a coyote yeah. and roadrunner cartoon so there's that yeah he had he had those rules but uh his writer mike maltese claimed he made them up those were apocryphal but if you look at the cartoons they kind of followed rules by design but they don't adhere to them like strictly as a religion sure but um you know that's one of those things you know latter-day revisionism by jones but um you know because he was the, the he was the artsiest of the directors and the most high-minded for lack of a better word but um yeah um with these care well these characters um yeah these let me let me give me a second i just want to for how i want to phrase this i would kind of describe them as like they're kind of like vaudevillian actors and oh absolutely a... they're uh, strictly from vaudeville because they um you know that's what all those guys grew up on um learning about and learning from silent comedy mostly and early sound comedy uh like laurel and hardy and charlie chaplin and buster keaton you know they all that 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 was their influence as well as the stage vaudeville um you know and a lot of those characters, uh, sp specifically the one character that comes to mind immediately uh, with what you're saying, place any into any situation is Sylvester the Cat. Um, you know, prime he was primarily in a lot of cartoons with Tweety, but you could put him, you know, he could be uh, Porky Pig's terrified cat, or he can be a uh, father to a very... Uh, deme demeaning son <laughs> or he can be you know with speedy uh, gonzalez with speedy gonzalez exactly um or he could you know you could just do anything with this guy he was their stock utility player and he was always funny no matter what what you did it and he was always still the same character even if you were putting him in a different role he was identifiable like there's very few where you would see, well, oh, Sylvester wouldn't do or say that, but he is. He's he can either be a the predator bully or he can be the victim. You know, he's just always still very funny. Um, mm -hmm. Bugs, to a certain extent, is an emotionally cool character. Um, you know, um, there's a couple of earlier ones from the 40s where he's more. Um, 
yeah, what's the word? Bombastic. And a couple of the earlier ones that Bob McKimson did when he directed. Um, and they're, they're good shakeups from the formula, but bugs to me, he's really the wise guy that uh, writer Mike Maltese perfected when he was uh, writing with Frizz Freeling. And then mm-hmm. later when he was exclusively with Chuck Jones, that's the bugs I know and love. And, Go, but going off of that, Daffy Duck is another great stock utility player because if you look at all of his cartoons, um, other than the trilogy of the, the Rabbit Season, Duck Season trilogy, every single one of those cartoons is different. They're not a variation on the same theme. He's doing, he's it, you know, you might see a gag or two you might have seen elsewhere before, but they're all unique and fresh and i kind of think that's uh the main reason why jones decided to pair him with bugs because he was uh getting to not only fulfill his obligation of doing bugs bunny cartoons for his contract but he was also getting to use a character in daffy that he became much more interested in mm-hmm yeah, and and I think that worked because they oh, have yeah. this unique dynamic that is able to clash with each other, whether it yeah. be with Bugs's sarcastic tone or Daffy's short temper that he can't really take too much of all of you know Bugs's antics. So that's what made them work. Oh yeah, it's it's totally cribbed from the uh, Bing Crosby and Bob Hope dynamic. Uh, they they made Paramount. They made features for paramount for years and that was their dynamic too being as the cool calm collected guy and bob hope as the statistical maniac you know and uh yeah but it, it worked really well um in the 50s and they sort of carried it on forever and all the reprisals i've sort of seen it abandoned in recent years because the reprisals uh suddenly decided that the uh, greedy miser persona of Daffy was taboo. And they, they've gone back to the uh, brain dead Daffy from the first couple of years, but mm-hmm. they sort of seem to have forgotten that there's this whole middle period of the four, the entirety of the forties and early fifties where he was a much richer character. So it, he didn't have to be either one or the other. He could be whatever the cartoon calls for. Like, mm-hmm. and say, Jones's Tom Turk and Daffy, um, that's pretty early. It's a 1944 cartoon. He's still a miserable character abusing uh, Tom Turk, who's getting chased by Porky Pig, and then giving his position away. But he's still insane. So it's still it's still really funny, and you're not really getting one or the other in something like that. Sure. And, you know, whether like, uh, and also he played such great characters, like he oh, was oh, yeah. Duck Dodgers, yeah. Duck Twacy, Duck Twacy, Duck he was Robin Hood, yep. uh, Robin Hood, Scarlet Pumpernickel, yep. uh, Dorlock Holmes, the great detective. Uh, let me see what, oh God, and a bunch of other ones. He, yeah. Yeah. He, he was great in ca- character roles. Um, and yeah, it's obvious those guys had the most fun with him. Because, as I said, Bugs, you sort of have to stab. He, he was their A-game. Daffy was always uh, considered at the studio the lesser player. I don't know if that worked into his persona and his resentment of Bugs in these cartoons. But um, he was always considered, well, you're, you know, if you're doing a Daffy Duck picture, you're doing the lesser picture. 
Yeah, kind of like a B project in which, like, an yep, episode, exactly. you know, there's, like, the A project in which, like, their best animators and their best writers are, like, doing this huge passion project while the B team, um, you know, who have to do, like, the lesser character and the story is not oh, as, right. like, fleshed out. Yeah, I, I guess Well, I got to even... tell you, they, they put their A game into a lot, most of those daffies because I just listed all of my favorites and most of those, the... First three that came to mind were all daffies, so... Yeah, I mean, like, you, you don't underestimate the B projects. I mean, I've talked over the nope. years about how, you know, there were a lot of projects that were considered to be um, B projects, a lot of films and all that kind of stuff, and then they well, turned Sponge out to be... Bob was con SpongeBob was considered the B project, you know? Exactly! They, uh, they thought CatDog was going to be the winner, and yep. uh, you know, they didn't bet on that horse. They bet on the wrong horse there, so... <laughs> Yeah, they sure did. But yeah, I mean, yeah, so um, anybody who is, uh, you know, in the industry, you know, if you're working on a project that is not like the higher up compared to another project that the same studio is working on, you know, don't sell yourself short. I mean, you never know what could happen. No, and plus, you're probably going to get away with a lot more um, if you it, because the executive's eyeballs are going to be kept off of it. So yeah, definitely good piece of advice is keep it on time and on budget and you and uh if it you know that's that's the dirty secret uh you know keep, keep it on time and on budget and that'll keep everyone's eyes off of it so absolutely you, you'll be able to get away with a lot more yeah i think also another thing that like i really was impressed you know going into the whole um you know references and uh you know between like bugs and daffy it's like you know, when looking back on some of these cartoons, I didn't know that there were so many references to, like, celebrities. Like, I did, I mean, mm -hmm. I saw, like, Frank, Frank Sinatra and, and Peter Lorre and such, and it's like, mm -hmm. oh, I didn't see that the first time. So it's like, yeah, I mean, essentially, like, very similar to a lot of, you know, you know, cartoons that are going on today. It's like they poke fun of, you know, pop culture references, and they feature a lot of celebrities that were hugely popular at the time, and they would just make a whole bunch of jokes. It's like, oh, you know, Peter Lorre has, like, the sulking face, and he talks funny, or, oh, Frank Sinatra. Mm -hmm. is like really skinny and you know he's attracting all the girls with his with uh, the chickens especially like frank sinatra is a, yeah. a chicken like okay well they were a lot better with that and that sort of lends itself to the warner cartoons is timelessness um yeah. you know because like you don't you don't as a kid you don't really get who these characters you might not get who these caricatures are or what that was a reference to um, you know, it, it's just funny on its own. It it doesn't see when, when you've you failed at parody or satire. If you need to know what the thing is that you're referencing, you're referencing you, need that, yeah. you have knowledge of it. You know, it's um, there's a couple of Bob McKimson shorts from the 50s that sort of fail in that regard, but they're very few and far between. Um, mm -hmm. You know, because, you know, like uh, Foghorn Leghorn is a uh, ripoff of Kenny Delmar's uh, Senator Claghorn uh, radio character. Um, and nobody remembers that character. But, uh, nope. you know, everyone remembers Foghorn Leghorn. And Kenny Delmar was very resentful of that. But uh, Foghorn eventually took on a life of his own where he wasn't just referencing, I say, I say, somebody knocked. You know, he's he's taken on this bombastic personality, this... Uh, having this uh, abusive tit-for-tat relationship with a bulldog, I mean, with a barnyard dog, and, uh, you know, he's he's a, he's mooching off of uh, Miss Prissy, the widow hen, or trying to escape her uh, marriage proposals. You know, there's, 
there's they had such good people writing these things um warren foster and ted pierce wrote wrote most of the uh, foghorn series so shout out to them as well mm-hmm. um and um you know and uh i'm trying to th- i'm trying to think um but uh yeah you you just don't that's what they have they truly they try to sell disney as timeless but the warner cartoons truly are the most timeless because everyone's still really interested in them and everyone gets upset when you, they reinvent them so you, d- you don't want to mess with this sure thing whereas something like some of the new disney mickey mouse stuff they're doing where they're totally re-overhauling the character Nobody's it is completely unrecognizable mind. yeah yeah it's com- yeah exactly and and no one's really upset with that people actually really like those i don't per se i have but, not uh, seen i have not seen enough to state my opinion right it's kind of it's kind of really turning him into spongebob more or less oh, um wow. but so yeah that's a, well you know you go from having nothing in a character to just giving him you know a new model and uh personality yeah that is some that might be an improvement in some sure. regard but with the Warner characters, they've got a sure thing, and that's sort of where uh, Pete Browngard is going in that direction with uh, the uh, Looney Tunes cartoons he did. Um, they're st- actually still being made a little bit. I have no idea where those new things are going to be turning up or when. Um, they kind of uh, screwed themselves on that. Uh, it's been... Oh, when did HBO Max launch in May? I think this, so. Yeah, there still hasn't been a new batch of them yet. Uh, which yeah, I don't know why. I don't know why for sickening. some reason. For some reason, I don't know why. And they did this like back in the Looney Tunes show as well, and New Looney Tunes, yep. which was originally called Wabbit. Like for some reason, they keep delaying their Looney Tunes properties and. You know, it's like, oh, you know, I haven't, uh, you know, I follow some of the the storyboard artists on Twitter and, you know, they'll be like, oh, you know, I worked on this a whole year ago and, you know, here's the animatic for it. And it's like, huh, I mean, I understand that it takes about nine months to make a cartoon, sure, but for some reason, the delay of this was like, okay, yeah. You know what, this is what the, this is, it it is a repeating pattern, you know, they get all hot for it. Oh, we're not going to screw it up this time. You know, we, we, we did it right. And then, you know, that the, uh, really hot start and then it just peters out cold, um, mm. which really stinks in this case. Cause they did try hard. I didn't, I wasn't in love with everything I've seen so far. And I have seen some stuff that hasn't, uh, been, uh, online yet, but, uh, you know that the, there have been some. The, it's a much more so, it's a much more solid reprisal project than um, anything I've seen since the. the uh, no, basically the Greg Ford and Terry Lennon shorts of the early '90s. So, you know, regardless of what I think, people really seem to like them. People want to see them, uh, but you know, there there seems to be some. High up conspiracy in the Warner hierarchy that really doesn't want to see these characters survive anymore. And that for the longest time, they were not available um, readily to a whole generation of kids um, when they put them exclusively on Cartoon Network. So the ball was in their court. And when they got capricious, they, you know, 
took them off the schedule. So they were very hard to they were very hard to access um, easily. I mean, I know we had the DVD collections, but that really isn't the same as being able to see it, you know, as a kid seeing it randomly on TV. Because, you know, who, who what kids are just going to run out and go buy? you know, a $60 DVD set, which, which fortunately, you know, they, uh, they bounced back. I mean, they're all over Boomerang and, uh, the Boomerang app, uh, and the HBO Max app. Uh, there's like a selection of some 350 or 400 cartoons on each of the streaming services. I don't, I don't know how much of it is overlap, so I don't Mm -hmm. know the whole real number, but, uh, yeah, you can see, um basically you can uh anyone of any age can go and see it which is a great thing making them that accessible again yeah absolutely and i can understand you know the you know the inconsistent uh quality of the uh, the popularity of the characters because you know depending on what time period they came out in and depending on how often they're shown on tv um, especially with the industry, you know, constantly changing about like, okay, you know, this is the kind of stuff that kids are into now. It's like, oh, you know, this whole, yeah. you know, seven minute uh, comedy thing or whatever. It's like, you know, everybody's into uh, superheroes or everybody's into um, anime. Everybody's into ongoing mm-hmm. deep story arcs or everybody's into this or whatever. But I think that, you know, nowadays, I think because that comedy has become a lot more, you know, popular with a lot of, uh, you know, shows, especially with on Netflix and other streaming services. I think that there, I mean, I, I, I don't see, um, I, I can understand why that, you know, Looney Tunes started to become like really popular again. I think that, you know, I think that, you know, in a way, um, you know, it kind of like never left us, uh, especially for those who are like dying to look for it. Like if you could find somebody who had it on VHS or if you did know somebody who had that streaming service and has access to all these cartoons, then yeah, you could be able to get it easily. I mean, it's, I mean, we're lucky that, you know, Looney Tunes wasn't like lost media in which like, you know, only very few people remember it. And then, you know, you have to wait until decades in which like somebody can find the original um, films and then are able to spend like thousands of dollars to restore it as like a massive passive uh, passion project. All right. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I even heard of, like, this one um, person many years ago who actually did do that for, like, the old 1900s cartoons in which, like, <laughs> um, they were able to, like, find a lot of them that have been lost over time and were able to digitally uh, restore it and, like, put it on uh, Blu-ray or something. And, you know, that's yeah, a niche lots of people thing. Are, yeah, a couple of people are doing it. It's a niche thing. And the, the unfortunate thing is that uh, the copyright law has prevented any... Uh, think to be done with uh, some of these uh other studios projects uh, with these other studios libraries so you got to wait on them to do it or wait out the copyright but uh they um they are restoring them as part of a passion project it seems like um or initiative more or less because hbo max did put up a ton of uh, cartoons from the 30s and early 40s, which is very, I found very shocking. Um, they they look mostly great, um, and you know, because most of them didn't have any of the continuing characters, so that was the big shock. So, um, but you know, if 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 they get them all done, that'd be great. I don't expect to see them all there, but uh, sure, you know, just as long as uh, they get available some way. Yeah, absolutely. 
And uh, I think another thing that I really do appreciate about the Looney Tunes, looking back on it, is that their use of music. Uh, which mm-hmm. I think that, um, you know, I, I don't know about, how, you know, for today's kids, but this is what, re- you know, the watching the Looney Tunes shorts really got me a huge appreciation for classical music. Oh, like yeah, if- with everybody. Yeah, that yeah, that's their introduction to opera and uh, all the, uh, you know, just all the classical Be- Beethoven and Franz Liszt and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, spe- you know, especially, especially, you know, that's why they did... Uh, Bugs Bunny on Broadway or Bugs Bunny at the Symphony, you know, that's a very popular running, long running show where they perform, uh, the orchestra performs live music to the cartoons projected. How many um, cartoons can you say that do that? Oh, wow. Um, well, they have, they have a select few where, you know, if they know the piece of music, they could do it and, and, uh, you know, conduct the orchestra that way or, some there's a couple where they actually still have the old Carl Stalling and Mill Franklin uh, music sheets, so they know exactly how you know where to hit each beat and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's like with the things like uh, Bob Clampett's Corny Concerto or uh, Frizz Freeling's Pigs in a Polka or Jones's Rabbit of Seville. You know that's all pre-existing music that they could you know easily do and a, sure. and a composer or conductor could easily do that um there's a couple of others where um they had all the the original music sheets like uh there's a roadrunner they show um and there's a porky pig and sylvester jumping jupiter i know was screened there because they have the original sheet music for it mm-hmm. so they're so they're able to do it that way you know, there's there's nothing. Um, uh, what's the word? Uh, you know, there's nothing uh, scientific really about it. It's just the, you know, just the chance that they would be able to do it that way. Yeah, and I think you know the the only thing that I can recall that oh you know they're playing music based off of this show, and, and I'm talking about animated. I know with live action. Sure, they can do that. I mean, I know that, you know, when Polaris was on tour, um, when Pete and Pete was celebrating its 20th anniversary, they did bring them back to do a few uh, songs from their album. Um, I think the only thing that I can remember was like when um, I remember the Pillows, when they were releasing some of their songs on CD for Fully Cooley, and then they performed a live concert showing some of their Mm. songs. That's the only one I can think of. I mean, I'm sure that like maybe, I don't know, maybe like Steven Universe probably does the same thing. But for the most part... I don't really hear a lot of that. Video games, yes. Final Fantasy, Legend of Zelda, you know, they do that. But for an animated series where it would have like this full-blown orchestra where you could actually hear people playing music live while the show is being going, that's an amazing achievement. Sure, yeah. No, but, well, yeah, it does take a certain uh, art to... It, it, it is a certain art, yeah. But, you know... Uh, they did it. They there's always been musical accompaniment, you know, going back to the silent era. So it's nothing new. So, um, but yeah. Um, did you have any other questions? Because I might need to wrap this soon. Sure, sure. Um, um I guess really quickly. Um, what, sure. uh, what what were your favorite minor characters? Like the characters that only show up like a handful of times, and you enjoyed them. Sure. Um, Hubie and Birdie, the two mice. The uh, two mice based on the dead end kids there one's always slapping the other making up his mind for him and they're always torturing this neurotic cat claude uh claude cat definitely too 
Uh, other favorite minor characters, um, the three bears, of course, uh, Chuck Jones <laughs> and Mike Maltese creation. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the original abusive, uh, nuclear family, um, trying to think of some of the other characters, uh, I Witch mean, like Hazel, of course, yeah, Witch Hazel yeah, Witch shows up a couple times, uh, to great effect, especially in, uh, Broomstick Bunny, that's a real tour de force for June Foray, um, trying to think oh well, well before before we continue on like major shout outs to people like mel blank and june foray giving these characters just amazing uh mm-hmm. bravado with their performances arthur q Bryan, who did elmer fudd originally um yep. b benaderet stan freeberg yeah ken rogers rogers Kent Rogers was the original voice of beaky buzzard another favorite um mm-hmm. who was only in a handful of cartoons um other favorite of the minor characters um i kind of like sniffles the mouse i know not everybody does but i especially liked him when uh jones rewrote him as a little blabber mouth uh that won't shut up talking for a few cartoons um Thank God. Oh, uh, Sam Sheepdog and Ralph Wolf, uh, very minor series, but uh, very funny Mm -hmm. concept of, uh, you know, characters literally fulfilling their roles out of a job obligation. Um, But yeah, those are definitely all favorites. Um, Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, For a lot of people, they love Michigan J. Frog. Uh, yeah, he was originally he was, his original name was actually Enrico. But, Enrico. Uh, I don't know how. Yep, that's when they showed it on the original Bugs Bunny show. They would have little previews of coming up next week, uh, Daffy Duck or Sylvester and Tweety. And, and when it came time to show one Froggy Evening, you know, it said Enrico. Interesting. <laughs> so, um, so, uh, um, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, that I don't know how he came about to get his moniker because I know Jones did a lot of rebranding in his later years mm-hmm. um, of characters like uh, Gossamer, the the big orange hairy monster, wasn't originally called that, and um, uh, Marvin the Martian, of course, was a latter day recreate yeah. uh, recreation. I mean, a uh, later day rebranding. Yeah, so. Quickly, and you know, I, I know, um, you know, we're we're running out of time for here. But your thoughts about the other incarnations that came out, you know, after the classic shorts, like you know, we had like the, you know, as you were mentioning earlier in the show, there was Tasmania, Sylvester and Tweety Mysteries, Lunatics Unleashed. Um, yeah, but most of those, uh, the uh, most of those, the less you say, the better. Um, sure. Tiny Toons, you know, you know, there's a love-hate thing with it. I mean, it real, you know, a lot of it really didn't hold up very well, but it was an incredibly important series, and it was a lot better than a lot of the other product airing in 1990. Definitely sure. a big step up for TV animation. Um, uh, Sylvester and Tweety Mysteries is actually a very well-produced series, even though it's not my cup of tea. Same with the Duck Dodgers TV show um, that Spike Brant and Tony Cervone did with uh, uh, Tom Minton and Paul Dini. Um, mm-hmm. that, that's a very well-art-directed show. But, you know, a lot of these things, they're just too exposition-y and dialogue-heavy, um, which a lot of modern TV animation does favor. But, you know, it's partly because you can't 
there's it's not so much the budget but it's the mindset that kids won't accept it if some someone isn't talking they'll change the channel and get bored but uh you know as the originals prove as after generation after generation uh you know they keep coming back to the original cartoons so you know point proven wrong but um as far as the other reprisals um uh, my favorite of the 90s ones was probably Greg Forge, Blooper Bunny. That was pretty funny. But I do love, uh, what's that guy's name? Steve Peck. He did a student film in the late 70s, uh, Rabbit Habit, if you look that up. I think that, <laughs> as crude as that is, it nails the characters. And apparently Tex Avery really loved it. Oh, so that's awesome. So, yeah, so... Uh, uh, Chuck Jones didn't think much of it, but uh, Tex did like it. But That's uh, cool. I, I know that Chuck, you know, he was off doing his own stuff afterwards. You know, he yeah. did a lot of stuff for UPA, and uh, you know, he did. He did you know, he did, the, he did the one feature for UPA that was on Warner's Time, though, and that's why he got fired originally. Yeah, Gay Perry. Um, Gay Perry. Yeah, he did that. Um, he had his own studio through MGM where he did a lot of the Tom and Jerry's and he did his one masterpiece there, uh, the, how the Grinch stole Christmas Absolutely. and, uh, here's a who. And then, then he had his own studio and he was doing a lot of Kipling adaptations. Um, he did the Phantom I, booth. Did, yeah, I did that. Um, but you know, yeah, it's, yeah, he's sort of a uh, sad story, like just petering out. Not really yeah. getting why, but uh, you know he he was the best shorts director for, for a very long time, so he has that always to fall back on. Yeah, and as for the movies, uh, I would highly recommend that you listen to the What a Cartoon podcast, where you actually did talk about Space Jam. Oh so. yeah, I talked about. I I broke my vow of talking. I about am that. so yeah. sorry. <laughs> well no i you know when you do research and know people you know about all this stuff and uh you know i i did know some people who worked on space jam so i was sure. able to talk about it with uh bob and henry there um i could probably do the same with back in action but uh like i said i don't recommend anyone really go after those films you know there's no there's no hidden classic there um and uh, I, they do. They're doing. They Space Jam Two is definitely happening. It is. Yes, it is. So, uh, that's I. That's uh, unfortunately, as I talked a bit in that podcast with Bob and Henry, for a lot of people, Looney Tunes nostalgia starts and ends with Space Jam. So, it's uh, yeah. I, I so I don't know what to think or say. I mean, I can understand why they decided to do the sequel in addition to, oh, you know, nostalgia and all that stuff. But it's the highest grossing basketball movie of all time, which, okay, uh, I guess that's another Are reason for it. there many others? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> As for many others, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I mean, I, that's, I mean, from what I've heard in the synopsis, oh, it's like, okay, so we have, you know, LeBron James and there's going to be like different situations with, you know, him having to play basketball because of, I, I don't know, something involving with like bringing all the classic characters again. It's like, okay, I mean, I'm curious, but I'm not like wanting to watch it, but no. I don't think eh. anyone really is. You always still have the old ones to fall back on, and they're still 
readily available. So I, you know what, it keeps the characters in the public's eye, and you know I, I can't really wait expound too much energy you know it's like oh they didn't do this right or they're doing this wrong so um but which is why i can't you know if you know there's uh there's things i don't like about the new looney tunes cartoons but there's a lot of stuff i do and they they are trying and you know it's you you sort of got to go into any of these reprisals of these classic characters knowing you're gonna see a failure so once once it isn't so much a failure it's like oh yeah i actually kind of like this and there's a yeah like i said there's a couple of the looney tunes cartoons they're doing a really good job on so um yeah so yeah absolutely and uh you know uh speaking of the newer uh, looney tunes cartoons a shout out to ryan kramer who um actually yes. works on that show he was originally supposed to be here as a guest but um due to conflicting schedules uh, he wasn't able to join but uh, no shout out to ryan um you know thank you very much for your time on almost uh, coming on to the show it was really appreciative anyway so yeah thad uh thank you so much for coming on to the show it, it, it was uh, wonderful having you here all right. Well, thank you, Mary. Thank you, Patricia. Uh, so, yeah, we're up. tell everybody where people can find you at. Well, I have my own podcast. You can find it wherever podcasts are available called Cartoon Logic. And we also have a Patreon, patreon.com slash Cartoon Logic, where we're doing a lot of bonus features. We're doing a bonus podcast called Spinach Scrutiny, where we're examining the Fleischer Studio Popeye cartoons year by year. You can find me on Twitter at all news, bad news. And uh, yeah, just hit me up. And, um, you know, if you have anything to uh, ask or any topics you want to hear us discuss on Cartoon Logic, you know, just let us know. So, yeah, thank you, Patricia. Absolutely. Yeah. So thank you to Chad for recommending that I talk about Looney Tunes and thank you for all who actually voted on uh, the topic. And uh, as mentioned before, the one that went into second place will come out pretty soon. And sadly, as for the others, they'll have to be in the back burner for another time. So uh, thank you so much for listening, everyone. Uh, Let us know in the comments below about your thoughts on Looney Tunes, whether it be the classic series or the the shows or even the movies. Um, anyway, so let us know about your favorite character, your favorite episode, your favorite animator and director. That's it. Hope to see you around soon and take care. <laughs>